Hello there and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. And today's guest to the island is a dairyman, the Archbishop of Armagh, the Primate of All-Ireland. It's a pleasure to welcome Archbishop Eamon Martin. Now, Archbishop Eamon, I know you're from a big family in Derry City. It must have been a pretty crowded house growing up, was it? <laughs> I suppose when you think about it now and the fact that there are often uh, very few people in any home, uh, I look back and uh, I had uh, six sisters and five other brothers, my mum and dad. But I suppose you never really got a sense of being crowded. Uh, we had a lovely family and family was very important to us and still is for me. Uh, my mum and dad have uh, passed away at this stage. But, you know, I've really fond memories of growing up in Derry. And I suppose having plenty of brothers and sisters, it meant that you had uh, a way of uh, meeting a lot of people. And uh, I really have a really soft spot for Derry and uh, for family. And thank goodness um, having a lot of brothers and sisters means that now I have a lot of nieces and nephews and grand nieces and grand nephews and you know not having my own family it's lovely to be able to share in the families of my, my brothers and sisters. That's a lot of birthdays to have to remember. <laughs> the Troubles though because you grew up during the Troubles in Derry I mean what impact did they have? Uh, when I look back on it um, I realised that I grew up during a very troubled time. Actually, last year, I'm sure a lot of yourself and maybe your listeners came across uh, Joe Duffy and Freya McClemmons' book, mm-hmm. uh, Children of the Troubles. And, you know, when I was flicking through that, it was actually really strange because I saw names of people who grew up in Derry, like me, in and around my age, who had been caught up in the violence, being killed accidentally, some of them involved, some of them, uh, you know, uh, killed by the British Army, some of them killed in riots, some of them, uh, even as children, being recruited as, as, as child soldiers. And, you know, I look at it now and I say, my goodness, that's the world I grew up in. I actually remember in my last year at primary school, the teacher telling us about a young boy who, who lived in Derry who had found a gun in a house and while he and a friend were playing with it, the gun went off and he was killed. And our teacher used it as a way of telling us to be careful and to watch where we were going. I remember about another uh, young child who, who, who triggered a tripwire and who died instantly. Um, there was that young girl, Annette McGavigan. Her, her, her picture is still up on a mural in the walls in, in the, in the centre of Derry. And she died picking up a rubber bullet during a riot. And I look back now... I realised that I did grow up in the middle of that and I'm very grateful to my family and to my parents for keeping me and the rest of our family safe. Um, I also have memories, you know, of the peace rallies. Isn't it strange, you know, uh, I remember there, were, there was a sign up on one of the gable walls saying, seven years is enough. And obviously this was in and around the mid-70s when there was a lot of campaigns with the peace people. Do you remember Betty mm-hmm, Williams sure. and Maria Corrigan and others who were trying to ask for an end to violence? And that, that whole scene of the Troubles, you know, in a way, I grew up with it. 
But at the same time, I felt safe. My family kept me safe and kept all of us out of the the, the actual extremes of the violence. And there were some times when you came across incidents that frightened you. I remember one day going to an Irish class that had in a local community centre near us. And myself and my sister, we were coming out of the Irish class and... Uh, there was a riot just beginning and the, the army were arriving and they were firing rubber bullets. And I can remember us being terrified and running home, you know, frantically running home. And things like that stand out in my mind. Some funny things too. After, after I uh, went to Maynooth, uh, I was, remember going in one afternoon to Dublin and myself and a few friends, we were going into Cleary's there mm. <laughs> and, uh, on O'Connell Street. And there was a man sitting at the door and I opened up my bag to show him the bag and I realised he was just a man sitting at the door he wasn't a searcher but it was so much instinctive that you that you uh, became part of all that was happening but thank goodness we've come through all of that now and things are in a much better place I wonder like things like Bloody Sunday now you were a young boy but Mm -hmm. you would have memories of it I mean that the impact of it on the community was seemed so great yeah it does stand out I mean I was only 10 Uh, when Bloody Sunday happened. And uh, one of the ways I remember it specifically was we were all asked in school by our teacher to bring in newspapers, you know, local newspapers, because there was a campaign at the time to get the truth of what had happened on Bloody Sunday, to get it out to the world. And we were asked to bring in copies of the local papers and then they were posted off to the United States and to other parts of the world to get the message out about the travesty of justice that, that really was ha- that had happened on Bloody Sunday and the, the way that uh, the, the true story wasn't getting out, at least in the initial days and weeks and months. But the actual Bloody Sunday marches, the idea of marches, there were a lot of uh, marches in and around that time. I wasn't allowed. I was too young. I was too small. Um, perhaps some of my older brothers and sisters would have gone along to the civil rights marches at the time. And names like, uh, you know, John Hume and Eamon McCann and others, these names were, were part of, the, of the, the story, like Ivan Cooper and people like that. Those were names that I grew up with. A lot of these people were giants and uh, it's only in history, as history is written, that we realise the contribution of a lot of people to peace, uh, to trying to maintain justice. And uh, it's something that I think we should never forget as we go on. Yeah, even Betty Williams, who you mentioned, and the, yeah. the peace people, as I only read about her recently, she passed away this year as well. And, she did. And uh, the impact on, on all of those people's lives and the pressure and the stress of being involved so centrally. Mm-hmm, exactly. And uh, I mean, I think that... Uh, Those women of peace, uh, they led us at the time. Looking for peace and looking for an end to violence is something that I grew up with. And I certainly, my family and my teachers and others would have been pointing out to us that you can achieve your ends by peaceful means. And so I would have been very anti-violence. I I did come from a nationalist family and I suppose we dreamt of uh, Ireland one day being united. But... um, I think my parents, my family, the message was very much one of peaceful means. So whenever the church became involved also with peace crusades and 
prayer crusades for peace. That was very much part of our thinking at the time. I remember walking up uh, through the town in a very large procession of prayer, a candlelit procession for prayer. I don't even know what year it was. I imagine it must have been the mid-70s again. The mid-70s were horrendous in terms of deaths and violence on the streets. Mm. And uh, just to think now that I did grow up through that and thankfully came through it well, but with very strong values and principles for myself for life. Right, let's let's go to your first musical choice, Eamon. Glenn Miller, where does this come from? <laughs> it might seem rather strange, you know, for the Archbishop of Armagh to be choosing Tuxedo Junction with Glenn Miller. Mm. But I, I played the trombone and uh, I still have it here, actually, but uh, I've threatened a few times to take it out and blast it <laughs> on some difficult days. <laughs> but actually, uh, when I was growing up, uh, at the age of 14, there was a really impressive music service where young people were encouraged to pick up an orchestral instrument and learn it. Now, I was away the day they did the test and the day they gave the, the, the instruments out. So when I got back uh, the, the following week, there was only one instrument left in the music store and it was a trombone. <laughs> and I remember carrying this thing home. It was like in the, sh- the case is like a big elephant's foot. <laughs> and I arrived into our house with the, the 12 children in our family with a trombone. And you can just imagine the noises that I must have been getting out. One of my sisters used to joke, you know, that if you were ever looking for our family home, you just go down to the bottom of the street and you listen for the noise. And I, I, have to, I have great admiration for my brothers and sisters that they survived me learning the trombone uh, during those days. But one, I also got a plunger mute I don't know the brass players out there will know what they are and I used to love uh, practicing you know the do wop that kind of sound and that of course comes to the fore in Tuxedo Junction by Glenn Miller and there was a great tradition in Derry of of, of, uh, jazz and of big bands you know people like John Trotter Gay McIntyre Joe Quigley James McCafferty singers like Mick Williams and then the Clipper Cartland Band from up in County Tyrone so there was the idea that whilst a lot of my friends were into Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple and ELO and these that I was listening to Glenn Miller uh, Moonlight Serenade St. Louis Blues in the Moon and Tuxedo Junction Do Wop Do Wah Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1 That's Tuxedo Junction from the Glenn Miller Band the choice of today's guest the Archbishop of Armagh Eamon Martin. Eamon, you're obviously a bright lad at school. I know you got a degree in mathematical science. Yeah, I loved mathematics and science indeed. And then whenever I went to Maynooth uh, to study for the priesthood, it's a unique institution because you have in Maynooth a beautiful place, of course, to go. But you also have there two side-by-side universities. There's a Maynooth was a constituent college of the National University of Ireland so you could do your degree in secular subjects but also then you have the Pontifical University so that you can study theology. So I had a wonderful uh, education both in St Columns College where I went for my secondary school and then going on into Maynooth uh, to be able to study my science, my mathematics and also uh, philosophy and theology alongside one another and to meet uh, the huge variety of students who were in Maynooth. I remember when I went down there first, you know, a dairy man. Uh, I got very friendly with the Cork lads. And uh, I used to joke, you know, that the reason why the dairy men and the Cork men got on so well was because none of us really knew what either of us was saying. <laughs> <laughs> we were speaking so fast. But 
But I made a lot of really good friends in Maynooth and uh, thank goodness they're still my friends today. Uh, They've been able to study science and mathematics, which I loved, and then to do theology. It was a great mixture for me and uh, it's something that I really uh, proud of that I was able to do that and so pleased to have had the opportunity. And maybe those friendships are an appropriate cue for your second piece of music. Yeah, uh, you've got a friend, uh, one of my favourite songs, particularly was James Taylor singing it in his album, you know, the classic songs. But um, for me, friendship is key. And and I think for a lot of people, particularly during these days, you know, of the COVID-19, where people have been locked down and in their homes for several months, and turning to friends over social media and not being able to meet up with their friends in the same way, I think it has made us value family and value friendship in a new way. And for me, I look back, you know, my school friends, you know, even from primary school, uh, some of my closest friends today are friends I had in primary school and in St. Columns and then in university, my classmates for the priesthood and then a lot of lay friends that I met. And I think it's really important for a priest to have close friends lay people um, who invite them to be part of their families, to be part of their growing up. It's so important for all of us, you know, to have good friends and to be good friends to others. And I know that in, in the Bible, you know, Jesus says, I call you friends. And the Old Testament speaks about a faithful friend being, you know, like a treasure, a sturdy shelter. And when you find one, you look after it. So you've got a friend is is a really important song and it's a hopeful song about friendship and love. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's You've Got a Friend from James Taylor. The second choice of today's guest, Archbishop Eamon Martin, Archbishop of Armagh, Primate of All-Ireland. Eamon, out of curiosity, there were 12 children. How many of you went to college? We all went to college in one form or fashion. My mother and father had a strong belief in education. And uh, they felt that it was really, really important for all of us to do what we wanted, to find our vocation in life. And therefore, all of our family went on either to teacher training college. Uh, some of my sisters went into nursing and uh, some of my brothers went into business. And, and I really feel that the value of education, particularly growing up in Derry, and again, thanks to some of the great uh, teachers and leaders in St. Columns College and other schools, who really felt that for, for us and for our community, it was important for us to be educated And this is something that John Hume often spoke about, about the importance of education in a kind of an emancipatory way that, you know, and making the most of opportunities. It's something then when I went back into St. Columns College as a teacher, Mm -hmm. uh, I was able to share with my pupils and to, to impress upon them the importance of making the most of educational opportunities. And even today for young people, I would always be encouraging them to, you know, to look and to push themselves forward. Uh, in terms of education, not to give up on their education. I mean by education, not necessarily going to university, but making the most of your skills and and your gifts in your life. And education is really important for me and it was so for my family growing up as well. Yeah, it just struck me as, you know, that wouldn't be commonplace. Uh, You know, a working class family with 12 children and they all go and third level education is is a great thing, you know. 
Can I ask you about, you ended up back in St. Columns as a teacher, as you said, and you became president. But after that, what was the route that brought you to becoming Archbishop of Armagh? Well, actually, I do think that my role as president or principal of St. Columns College was very helpful to me personally. And and I look back on those days, um, you know, just realising that uh, it was such a, a privilege to be uh, the principal of the school there it was a big school with 1,540 pupils, uh, 150 staff. And I learned an awful lot in St. Columns about leading people, being part of a team, leading a team, setting a strategic direction for the school and for the pupils and the staff. And it was helped along by the fact that I was given the opportunity to take a sabbatical. I went over to the University of Cambridge to do some postgraduate work there and also at the Institute of Education in London. And through those experiences, I was able to reflect on leadership and management and uh, what it is to lead people and what it is to try to bring people on a mission and to, to share leadership. And whenever I left St. Columns, I was asked to go and be the executive secretary to the Irish Bishops Conference and I worked there for a few years before I was called back up to Derry because the Bishop of Derry had retired due to ill health and they wanted me to come up and to give a hand there. I became the administrator of the Diocese of Derry and then, uh, much to my surprise, uh, I was uh, called to the papal nuncio one day and he said, Pope Benedict has um, asked you uh, to become the coadjutor Archbishop of Armagh, which meant really as an assistant to uh, Cardinal Sean Brady. And I remember really being shocked at that. And um, But but it has been such a joy to, to be here and to work with the people and the religious and the priests of the Archdiocese of Armagh and to, to really be involved in leadership of the church in Ireland. And I, I look back to my, my days in St. Columns as, as the, the, the principal there, the leader there. And I'm so thankful, you know, for, for the staff there and the pupils and the parents there because they helped to form in me a lot of the, the, the skills and the gifts, I suppose, that I try to bring to this role today. And connecting with young people in the modern world isn't easy. It's not. But I, I, I really, I think young people are amazing, you know, and uh, they never cease to amaze me, even during this current COVID-19 emergency. The number of young people who, uh, through their local GAA club, for example, or through their parish or community groups, who have become involved in volunteering their help uh, to older people, to running messages, to to doing uh, encouraging phone calls. And young people, I think we underestimate them a lot. And I have discovered as well that young people actually are also people of faith. They may not be going out to Mass regularly and they may not be attending their church uh, in the way that might have been expected in the past. But a lot of young people through their schools and through their own uh, interests are worried about the world, they're conscious about the world, they want the world uh, to be a better place and they want to bring their gifts to that. So I have a really great belief in young people. Um, I know that um, people often say, sure, they're the future, but actually I, I think they're the present. Young people are so important for us today. And I know that a lot of young people, particularly those doing their leave insert and their A-levels, 
are going through a difficult time at the moment because of the COVID-19. They haven't been able to have their graduations in the way that they might have had. And, and I think we need to look out for our young people, especially at this time. Well, that probably is an appropriate way to go to our, our final musical choice. Tell us about the prayer. Yeah, I think the, the prayer, especially the version which is sung in duet by uh, Celine Dion and Andrea Bocelli, for me, it's a very hopeful prayer. It's really a prayer which, which dreams of a world that is a better place. Uh, Sogniamo un mondo senza più violenza. Uh, you know, we dream of a world without violence, a world of justice and hope. And that desire to build a better world is a prayer that I make every day. I like to think of myself as a positive person who, despite all of the difficulties around us, I try to make the most of every day. And I begin every day with a prayer to God that he will you know, help me to be wise, particularly if I may be in danger of losing my way. And that's the sentiment that motivates this beautiful song, um, uh, which is sung here by Andrea Boncelli and uh, Celine Dion. Well, we will play out with that. And Archbishop Eamon Martin, it's been a pleasure chatting with you and I wish you continued strength and success in your role. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Des, and God bless you and all of your listeners. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.